0: From Olympic City and the home of Pike's Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. And here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. It is heard around the world as a podcast right here in Southern Colorado on the radio 91.7... KLZ, our voice of the Wet Mountain Valley. Matt West here, hanging out with you, talking cars. And uh, I've got a really fun show in the works for you. I'm going to recap my experience at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Also, Ford has a new invention that high school me thought of years ago, and it is guaranteed to get people killed, (laughs) such as anything thought of by a high schooler. Uh, We're going to talk about that. Koenigsegg has their bonkers four-seater hypercar. And, um, they've announced that they're, they are actually producing it. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about why that car is so bonkers. And then a certain automotive accessory has been wreaking havoc on people who have questionable aesthetic modifications on their cars. And, um, You know what? Good riddance. We need more of this. What is it? I'll tell you about that and more on this edition of the show. Now, this has been an exciting week, uh, especially coming off of the hill climb here. I did take a week off from the show immediately after the hill climb just because of how busy things got. And I think uh, and I, it was it needed a little bit of recuperation. There was uh, the hill climb and the weeks leading up to it, I mean, were many, many long weeks with very little sleep. And you watching the show only saw the part from FanFest. There is so much more to it. So I'm really excited to talk about that. Some of the fun things that are going on and that will be coming up here uh, later in the show. Now, if you did miss the last episode, it was amazing. Oh my goodness, you are missing. You are truly missing out if you didn't tune into the last episode, which you can do because of the, um, the magic of podcasting. So you can go back in the podcast feed and find that you won't find any more hill climb goodness stuffed into a single podcast as this. You really won't. I don't think there is any podcast doing the same thing. And uh, that's why you tune into uh, this show, after all. And I had Jimmy Ford on the show and a friend of the show, Jimmy Ford, of course. You've heard him many times before, but he was really excited, really pumped to get ready for the hill climb. You can listen to him. I also had hill climb driver Dai Yoshihara on the show. Uh, Really honored to have him joining me, as well as Amir Bentatu, racing engineer and Motor Trend TV host. Um, And it was so great having him on Uh, OBD1 Kenobi, joined me on the show. So um, if there isn't enough reason for you to listen to the show, I don't know what else to tell you. But after this one, go back in your podcast feed, find it if you haven't seen it or listened to it. Lots of great ways to catch the show as well as uh, audio on podcast on the radio, also on video, YouTube uh, and Rumble. So you definitely want to uh, you definitely want to check that out now. That being said, we've got a whole lot of stuff to uh, get to here on the show, and I, like I said, I will, I will discuss more of my hill climb fun and things uh, as we get on into the show. Uh, and uh, I mean, it was such a cool event. I will say before I even get into that, a major thank you to all of the event organizers, everybody who made that hill climb possible. It is incredible how much work goes into. Putting the race on. I mean, it is insane and doing it safely, no less. It is absolutely, it's a ton of work. And by the way, the Hill Climb is run almost entirely by volunteers. These are guys who aren't getting paid. These are men and women who aren't getting paid to do this, and they are giving it their all. The Hill Climb does have a few full time employees who organize it, but generally speaking, um, the majority of it's done by volunteers. So, and I think that's one of the special things um, about the event. I love how the event has. You know, this grassroots connection, you can be a grassroots racer and you can be racing with factory teams. You can be doing all this amazing stuff. The organizers, the people who, you know, live here in the Springs, who every year take a week off from work to go do the race. Um, again it's it's amazing and uh, we're gonna we're definitely going to get into more details about some of that but that's that's i just wanted to open with that as a as a thank you to those folks who put the show on so anyway hey coming up here we're going to talk about all sorts of interesting stuff we're going to play your car sounds and maybe discuss some questionable aesthetic mods to cars that's coming up here uh, in just a minute on automotive adhd
1: In these trying times the speed council needs your support well mostly your money all right just the money join our patreon today at thespeedcouncil.org to get exclusive benefits when you support automotive adhd
0: there we go hey those car sounds courtesy of show mega fan Josh Maldonado. He has been one of my longest term listeners he's been listening since the start of the show and he sent that car sound in he works by the way at an nsx performance shop he specifically works on making crazy supercharged modified nsx's and uh, that is especially fantastic the nsx is an amazing chassis and i mean making them better is even cooler um i if i ever get my hands on an nsx I will definitely take it to Josh and the guys at his the shop that he works at. I, uh, I, think, <laughs> I, I think that's the only right thing to do. Josh, hey, thank you for sending those car sounds into the show. By the way, if you're a new listener, you can send car sounds. Not just if you're a new listener. Old listeners do it, too. But if you don't know, you can send car sounds into the show. I play them on the show, so you get to tell your friends, hey, my car was on the radio. Um, and then I also enter you for a chance to win some cool stuff. The automotive ADHD keychain, which I've got one. Uh, over here on a set of, uh, what is it today? Jeep keys. Yeah. Jeep keys on here. And uh, it's a cool keychain. You also get a $25 auto parts store gift card and a sticker. And as her on the automotive ADHD sticker, um, automotive ADHD show sticker, rather, I should say. So you get entered for a chance to win that. I do those drawings every month. Now, before we, uh, before we get too far into some of these other things, um, I got to talk a little bit about the um, newest edition of the GR86. This was news that came out during the hill climb week. So admittedly, I had to set it to the side. I didn't have time um, to uh, to talk about this. Uh, but Toyota has unveiled the GR86 Torino edition or Torino, Torino, Torino any way you want to pronounce that. And the reason I bring this up, the reason I bring this up, I think it's fascinating. And I, I at least like to think I have an interesting perspective on this having own Well, currently owning two AE86 Torino's, Torino, Torino. I'm going to just mix it. I'm going to keep Look, I own the cars and I still don't pronounce it right. So (laughs) what are you going to do? But, uh, I'm just going to keep mixing up how I pronounce it. It's not going to be consistent. Don't worry about it. But that being said, you know, I think it's, um, the A86 is a super cool chassis. I love mine. If you visited my booth at FanFest, um, you would have seen one of mine. And uh, it's the one that's running and driving. So that's why it was obviously there. But, you know, <laughs> that being said, um, it, they are wonderful chassis. They're really fun. Mine's got a 20 valve 4A GE swapped into it. It was originally the 16 valve 4A in there, was originally a GTS car. Uh, and I got it with a blown up engine. So I said, why well, put the old stock thing back together? Let's go a little weird. Let's put the the ITBs on it. It's honestly a pretty common build for those 86s. That being said, the new one, uh, the GR86, obviously it's Toyota's two, uh, two-door 2 sports coupe that is rear-wheel drive with the manual transmission, much in the spirit of the original AE86, which I think is a beautiful thing because we just don't have that many. We have more now than we did, in all fairness, but we still don't have that many cool rear wheel drive sports coupes. And, and the 86 is one of those. And it's one of the reasons why I love Toyota for doing this. Uh, now, now the Subaru guys are going to get on me here. Yeah, it's a, it's a collaboration with Subaru and Toyota. Subaru obviously providing much of the drivetrain for it. Toyota doing a lot of the chassis and suspension development for it. I don't care that it's a collaboration between the two. I mean, I would maybe rather it not be. But at the end of the day, you know, is it if you're deciding, well, we want a cool sports coupe, but manufacturers can't afford to make them and design them. And they're low volume enough compared to regular cars that they're not really going to make much money on them. I get why this is the way it is. That's fine. Um, that being said the Torino edition is cool because it harkens back to the AE86 Torino, which is a very, you know, it's a storied car. It's got history. It's got this cult following thanks to uh, franchises like Initial D, thanks to uh, racing, thanks to all of these different things. It's not just Initial D. It's, you know, uh, it's, you know, the genesis of drifting. It's all these different things. Uh, And this car, is like a regular, the new one here, the Torino edition, Torino Torino, is like the uh, regular one, except it's got stripes on it. It's got the panda, that's sp- called panda, in air quotes, I say that, uh, scheme to it on the doors, and it's got a black hood. Now, what they did do, they did some minor things to it, gets a cool badge. The... Um, uh, it says the Torino edition in the old school font of the badge on the original cars. That's pretty cool. You get a limited uh, 860 units, you know, in production. You get a plaque on the car. Yeah, that's cool. But what you're really getting in it, I think that's fun, is you're getting uh, different suspension, different dampers. You're getting different brakes. You're getting a bigger brake setup. Um, you're getting Sachs dampers specifically and Brembo brakes. And uh, what I think is cool about this. Um, isn't that, yeah, 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 that's a cool car. It's going to get the initial D fans to buy the car. That's fine and all. Um, It's that it it brought back the stripes, the two-tone paint. That's what I'm most excited about. Because, I mean, performance-wise, let's be real. This car is not groundbreaking. This is not like a earth-shattering change in the development of this chassis. It's not that much better performance. But I love it. I love the two-tone Panda Paint Scheme. On the original 86s. That's one of the things I love so much about them. And the fact that you're seeing even... A, and granted, it's vinyl stickers on this car. I don't care. Just the fact that they're doing that is cool. I think cars need more two-tone paint schemes. Just in general. I think two-tone... We're seeing a comeback on two-tone roofs and bodies. Well, I think we need to see two-tone stripes down the side of cars and all of this stuff. That was really popular in the 70s and the 80s. And I think that that... If people are going to jump on a nostalgia bandwagon for anything, I think we need to bring that back because it's just cool. And they honestly made that work with the design of this special edition car. And yeah, I know it's just stickers. I know it's just stickers on this car. I don't care. (laughs) That's the thing. I like it. Um, You know, and I again, I, I commend Toyota and by extension, Subaru as well for for, you know, sticking through regulations and all these different things that are seeking to limit two-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive specifically, manual transmission, sports coupes. Uh, you know, I mean, those, they're a dying breed, but they don't have to be a dying breed. People are like, well, this is the last of the manual transmission cars. You know, you hear media, you hear journalists going all out into this. You know, this is the last of that. Buy these cars while you can. They don't have to be. The, this proves they don't have to be the last generation of these cars. They just, I mean, they literally don't. Um, because all you got to do is just keep making them. All you got to do is fight legislation that tries to prevent manufacturers from doing stuff like this. So, you know, I think I think it's cool. I think it's not only cool, I think it's critically important that manufacturers like Toyota do this stuff because two-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive sports cars don't have to go away. They don't. We just gotta keep making them as as consumers we got to keep buying them so manufacturers can make money making them and be less likely to cave to political pressure to to do otherwise and i think that's i think that's important and you know, I think Nissan is getting on this bandwagon with the Nissan Z um, Toyota in the upper end with the Supra, you know, BMW with the, you know, the the brother of the Supra, the mechanical brother of the Supra. Again, rear wheel drive sports coupe. I mean, these these are important. They, they are what get enthusiasts in many ways into cars and they keep this genre of car alive by doing it and they keep people as car enthusiasts, you know? I mean, people want to get into these fun cars. Are there faster ways to build a car? Are there ways to build faster cars? Of course, absolutely, categorically there are. And the whole point of this is none of that matters. This is for the spirit of driving. This is for driving enjoyment, engagement in a sports car. Things that I have said electric cars are incapable of, even though they may have things that make them better in some circumstances, engagement feel and fun is one thing that needs to stick around toyota's doing a great job with this and they they put cool vinyl stickers on the side of this and that's all i need to buy it i just need i need cool stickers <laughs> it's as surface level as that so anyway hey coming up we're going to talk about my experience at the hill climb and more right here
1: ladies and gentlemen the Speed Council proudly presents Automotive ADHD, now on video. For better or for worse, subscribe to Automotive ADHD now playing on YouTube and Rumble.
0: Jeremy Schaff and a six Point eight liter Ford V10 right there. How cool is that? That's in a uh, Ford Econo line, you know, like like the big vans and stuff. And I always forget that Ford made a V10. They did. It's just, I mean, it's a longer version of the modular V8s from the early 2000s, but it's a V10. And um, Jeremy there sent that car sound into the Facebook page. By the way, how you can send those car sounds in, I uh, I, I I uh, forgot to mention how you can do that. I failed my duty. You can do that uh, by sending those car sounds uh, into the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. You got a couple ways to do it. You can private message me with a video of those car sounds, or you can post it for everybody to see hear, and enjoy, which this is the way I encourage you to do it. There is a pinned post at the top of the page. And if you add a comment, to that post and then put the video in that comment, uh, then all of us can enjoy hearing those car sounds. And I mean, I live vicariously through you sending in these cool, different car sounds. It doesn't even have to be an interesting, weird, expensive sports car. No, it doesn't. I've had, what have we had now? The weirdest thing, definitely a tractor. We've had a three-cylinder tractor on the show. Um, We've had a turbocharged and boosted Volkswagen Beetle from like the early 2000s. We've had some weird ones. I will say that. And my favorites sometimes aren't the fanciest, most expensive ones. So, hey, if you got cool car sounds, don't get hung up on. Oh, my car's not cool enough. It's not fun. Whatever. It's just my daily. Fine. Send it in. Send it in and get uh, get, uh, you know, the ability to have your car sounds on the radio, on the podcast. It's a whole lot of fun. So um, moving on here. Um, we got. I got to talk about this before we talk about our new supercar gods and Koenigsegg and all of these things. Um, Californians are getting fed up uh, with self-driving cars, and this comes by way of uh, Jalopnik. Um, hat tip Aaron Marquis, and uh, <laughs> this is this is amazing. So uh, what's happening is uh, people in San Francisco have discovered that they can temporarily disable self-driving cars. Now, California has this self-driving car thing. I don't see them here in Colorado. They're really not a thing in much of the United States. They still really aren't a prevalent thing in California, though. Well, California being California, but they're pretty prevalent there and folks are getting really irritated with them with all sorts of different mishaps and weird things that have been going on, uh, self-driving cars, stopping in traffic, breaking down, doing weird things. I commented on this show several months ago about an incident with the self-driving car, uh, approaching an emergency scene, by the way, where there were first responders, firemen and police blocking the road off so they could run fire hose across the road to deal with the structure fire. Um, Well, the self-driving car didn't have the ability to understand the situation, and it thought the fire hose was just a speed bump. So the cops had to uh, block this car and (laughs) and try their best to block it. It was uh, if you go back in the feed, you'll find this story. But uh, that being said, uh, they have caused issues, and this is not anything anyone's surprised at a self-driving car is no matter how good this technology is it's not a replacement for an actual driver who can understand the context of a situation in my opinion yes ai is getting there it might get there one day right now it's not there though it's a problem right now um and also somehow self-driving cars have managed to be worse than regular drivers who uh, as a whole let's let's be honest here as a whole the majority of drivers i think we can all agree Uh, Especially as enthusiasts of driving, you know, here on this show, I think we can all agree that the majority of drivers aren't the best, really aren't the best. I've talked about at length on this show how the uh, driver's ed system in many states here in the U.S., um, has failed us the driver's ed system is broken in many ways it is it is flawed compared to how some con- countries handle instructing new drivers and training them the, on the fundamentals of operating the machine and um, so yeah it, it's broken it's broken but somehow self-driving cars have managed to be worse than some of the regular drivers so really when you think about it that has to be um that has to be an achievement really I mean you have to try to be that bad. You have to actually go out of your way to be that bad. But back to this, Californians are getting fed up with it. They are they are frustrated with how things have been going with um you know, Google's Waymo self-driving cars and some of these different brands. So they've discovered that if they take a simple harmless traffic cone and put it on the hood of some of these self-driving cars, that blocks the sensors uh, in a couple positions on the car, freaks the car out. The car at least, maybe it could keep driving with that, but it probably has some sort of safety mode that it says, "Uh uh-oh, something's weird. I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And they're doing this. So the car stops. And doesn't do anything until a service technician goes and removes the cone. Now, service technicians for the self-driving car companies are justifiably fairly upset with this whole thing. Um, is this technically vandalism? Well, you're not damaging the property, but in a way you are damaging the the self-driving cars operate for business they're like taxis they're like cabs so yeah in a way preventing this car driving you are in a way vandalizing it still you're you're uh removing that vehicle's ability to conduct its business and make money for the company which in all fairness is probably not the right thing to do i'm not condoning putting these traffic cones on the hoods of these cars in such a way that very specifically just so you know, by the way, stops the car, you know, <laughs> but I'm, I'm not, I'm not condoning that. Um, do I think it's entertaining? Do I think it's kind of funny? Yeah, a little bit. I do, but more importantly, it's, um, it, it is, uh, it shows the issue. It shows the societal issue, the culture issue around these self-driving cars. More importantly, it highlights a lot of the issues people have with these self-driving cars. And, um, and, and, and plus, I mean, come on, the, the fact that these cars, you can be driving through traffic, this thing can cut you off, you can give it the middle finger, you can give it the family-friendly bird, right? <laughs> you could do that, and it doesn't care. It doesn't care. That's just not fair. When you think about it, that's just not fair. I think, I think these cars need to have a sense of shame. These cars need to have a sense of oh, I, I didn't mean to do that. You know, honk the horn in, in an apology. meep, me. Oh, sorry. So I, I think they do need that. But uh, in reality, this does, like I said, it does show uh, some of the problems with these systems. It really does. Uh, you know, and it, it shows how people you know, and how legislation and how rules are maybe not in touch right now with the reality of the technology, you know, and the thing is, are we going to see more of these self-driving cars? Yeah, without a doubt, we're going to see more of them. Do companies have to do a better job about making sure that these are more reliable and that they're safer? Absolutely, they do. And as consumers, do we have to endorse them? No, we, we don't necessarily have to endorse them. But I have a feeling they are going to be here and they're going to be here for a while. They might be here for the long haul. Um There needs to be, I think, some more accountability in the self-driving car space, much like, you know, much more accountability in this in this sense than even what we have for regular human drivers, because a regular human driver is going to make mistakes. Yes, that's inevitable. People also do things they shouldn't. They drink and drive. They, you know, do stuff. They text and drive. They shouldn't be doing that. Yes, mistakes are going to happen, uh, but there is still some sense of accountability there with the self-driving car. At the end of the day, who's accountable for it? The passenger? No, I don't think so. They weren't in control of the vehicle. The company? Well, yes and no. They're going to have an excuse for something or another. Like there's, I think in a weird way, we need to treat the self-driving car thing like we treat aviation. Uh, I think we need to treat it like we do aviation in the sense of how heavily, um, I'm not advocating necessarily for over-regulating things. I think there needs to be some sort of measure of safety that safety standards that have to be adhered to across the board. You know, I've never been one necessarily for increased regulation. But in this specific instance, um, there needs to be some sort of standards that are set. And there also needs to be some legal precedents on who's accountable for when things do go wrong. These just haven't happened. These are new in you know, in our experiences and in our, in our lifetimes. This is a new technology, and it does take time for stuff to catch up to it. Um, and it probably will catch up to it sooner than later. Uh, will I endorse self entirely self-driving cars? No, absolutely not. Not anytime soon? Not ever. I'm not going to do it. Uh, but they're here and we need to figure out how to deal with these things um and traffic cones seem to be one solution that some creative individuals have found uh, maybe not the best solution maybe uh taking it up with uh, city council and some you know the, the more political route of going through here might be a good idea um i wonder who figured out the traffic cone thing though I'm <laughs> just saying anyway hey coming up ford's crazy idea Koenigsegg's crazy supercar and my story about pike's peak this year that's next
1: Got a hot ride? Let everyone hear that horsepower on the Automotive ADHD Show. Just head on to Facebook.com slash AutomotiveADHD, leave a like, and submit your car sounds. Best of all, get a special as heard on the Automotive ADHD Show sticker when you participate through the month of April. Show us what you got at Facebook.com slash AutomotiveADHD and rev those engines up for the world to hear.
0: Ethan Mazer's motorcycle. Yeah, I said send your car sounds in. He didn't follow the instructions. He sent motorcycle sounds in. I'll take it, though. Ethan, thank you for uh, sending those sounds into the show. Yes, here at the Automotive ADHD Show, we love our two-wheeled brethren. They were born with two less wheels than the rest of us, but we love them all the same. Hey, if you got bike sounds, you want to send it in, please go for it. Facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. It's all in the love of motoring. That's what that is. Now I got to run through these topics kind of quick. Honestly, I I got myself off track talking about self-driving cars in the last segment. So we got to go through this kind of quick, but, um, Ford has a, uh, interesting idea here. (laughs) This is a fun one. So they have filed a patent for the, uh, presumably the new Bronco, by the way. Um, and, uh, they have filed a patent that allows the driver to stand up With the roof of the Bronco removed, okay, so the roof panels are removed up front, this allows the driver to stand on the seats and have their head above the windshield and look around, much like uh, a tank commander would do. Someone driving a tank would poke their head out and look around as they're driving to get a better view. Obviously, probably wouldn't want to do that in combat, but, you know, when you're just trying to traverse the land. And this is, I mean, it's kind of cool. I kind of like it. It's also kind of terrifying. So how are you controlling... The vehicle, by the way, this is only a patent filing, so they're patenting the means to this idea as a whole, um, which I should have thought of this years ahead because I had this idea in high school, but we'll we'll get more to that here in a second. But the idea being is they want to have a control surface at the top of the windshield frame. So when you're standing on the seat, bear in mind, you're standing on your expensive leather seats because these Broncos are like 70, 65, $70,000, but whatever. Uh, you're standing on your expensive leather seats and you got your hands on the windshield frame and there's some kind of touch surface there that allows you to control the speed of the Bronco, the braking, the steering even, perhaps. Um, and uh, <laughs> this is such a bad idea. I don't I don't know. But um, obviously, they would probably limit this to off-roading. They would probably say you can't use it on the main roads and it probably only works up to like, I don't know, five miles an hour, probably in low, low range four-wheel drive only. I would assume that would be the case. But it's kind of a neat idea, right? You're off-roading and you want to be able to see the lay of the land. You want to see the terrain a little bit better. Maybe you don't have a spotter. Maybe you're a um, maybe you're a you're a wealthy person without any friends to speak of, and you paid over MSRP for a Bronco. You paid hundred thousand dollars for it, and this is your only way. All your friends have maybe shunned you for paying over sticker for this Bronco. <laughs> I'm just having fun at this point, but um, yeah, the all these different things. This would allow you to. Um, to off-road it and get a good view of things. Um, now, myself in high school, right? I I I still have the Jeep I did this with. I I bought this Jeep way back. It wasn't my first car, but it was it was my second car. Uh, my first car, Toyota 4Runner. Uh, by the way, yes, I started out with Toyota. Uh, it met an untimely demise, unfortunately. Uh, but that being said, um, I after that in high school, I bought the eight hundred dollar stroker Jeep, which I still talk about to this day. I love that thing. Um, eight hundred bucks. I drove around with bad rod bearings, it knocking up all these different terrible noises and stuff for a long time. And and I I finally got around to, you know, building the engine and and doing the right thing with it. But in high school, I had this idea, too. In fact, I would I would go off roading. My, My mother who listens to this would probably cringe to know that I did this. But I would get in. I would stand in the driver's seat. So I'd put it in low range four wheel drive. I'd let the clutch out, put it in like second gear and just have it crawl forward. And I would stand up and I could even get in the passenger seat. I could, by the way, kids don't do this at home. This is incredibly stupid. Do, do as I say, not as I do. Um, and, and I would do this stand up on the windshield frame. Now you might be asking, well, how do you steer if you're standing on the seats, looking over the windshield here, um, with your foot, it's very easy. You actually are standing on that seat and you get your foot up, uh, on the steering wheel and you can steer with your foot while the rest of you is standing up uh, with the top down above the, um, Above the windshield, and honestly, I mean, you can even take this a step further. And I have, I did this in an open field. In all fairness, not on, you know, like one, one of the times I did this. I, it isn't an open field. It wasn't on the road or anything. I'm not that dumb. Uh, I, I'm close, but not quite that dumb. But uh, I, uh, I could even jump out of the jeep and let it crawl forward as I spot like the ditch and the rock that I'm going over. So I jump out. The jeep's crawling forward by itself. I look at where I'm going, and then I jump back inside of it. Um, yeah, don't don't do any of this. But I have to say, this is incredibly stupid. It's befitting it's an idea befitting that of a high schooler. I get that. But Ford has just patented the same idea. Uh, I'm I'm torn here. I don't know if this is a good idea. Not only that, I mean, yeah, they might limit it to a low speed. They might do these. They might have a sensor that knows when you're in the right position for it, or like a you know like a pull cord that you have to attach, like on those treadmills. Like if you fall down, the pull cord turns it off. Um, there's so much more to go wrong with a car. There's so many more dynamic things that can happen over off-roading terrain. Like what if the car you get it into a bad spot? You're going slow. None of the sensors have freaked out yet, and you tip it over and you're standing up, not belted in and you're above the windshield frame as this thing topples over. That's a great way to get killed really fast. So I don't know if this is a good idea. Is Ford going to produce this? Maybe not. I don't know. Um, They do have a habit of just patenting cool ideas or dumb ideas in this case, um, just so no one else has the ability to do it. So if they do decide to do it, they've got the rights to it. That may very well be what this is. Um, even then, I I, uh, I question this. <laughs> I, I think this is a dreadful idea, and uh, I don't know. I, I I can't imagine anyone doing this and and being realistically safe doing it. So, um, anyway, that that said, moving on here. Koenigsegg, I know everybody's favorite supercar manufacturer has um has done something. <laughs> A little unusual here, which is um, a. It is the Koenigsegg Jamera. Jamera, Gemera? Gemera, Um Pronounce that however you'd like. They pronounce it Jamera. So um, it is available with 2,300 horsepower in a hybrid V8. Or a weird, unusual three-cylinder, boosted three-cylinder application with electric boost and all these other things. And the crazy thing about this, this hypercar, 2,000 horsepower in a production car. It's a lot of power. I, I acknowledge that's a lot of power. And they have done this. And um, the thing is, it has four seats. This is a hypercar with like huge doors. It's not a four door. It's like two big doors that give you room and it has full seating for four people. And I think this is cool. This is bizarre. This is strangely weird and bizarre. And I love every bit of it. Now, this isn't necessarily news considering um, that, you know, we've known about this, this prototype at least for quite a long time you know we have known about it but Koenigsegg has just announced that it's going to make production they're actually going they're actually going to do it now they haven't officially announced the power numbers for the three cylinder the weird thing Um, I'm really curious about what that's going to be because it's probably going to be I mean uh, it's probably gonna be pretty good for a three cylinder. This is probably gonna be the highest horsepower three cylinder every ever made. And Koenigsegg does weird stuff. I love Koenigsegg for doing weird stuff. In fact, I consider Koenigsegg to be the pinnacle of supercar and hypercar, uh, manufacturing because you've got Ferrari, you've got Lamborghini, you've got Porsche. Yeah. You got these different brands, but no one does the bonkers supercar thing, the super weird thing any better than Koenigsegg. I mean, at one time that might've been Lamborghini. It's not Lamborghini anymore though. It, It just isn't. And you know, Koenigsegg also does this in the bizarre engineering space. It is simultaneously very weird and strange, the cars they build and simultaneously engineered in a beautiful, logical fashion. It is such a strange way to build a supercar. Um, and I think that's great. And they're going to actually be producing these things. Now, there's only going to be 300 of these. So low production. That's production all the same, though. Now, the funny thing here is I'm, I'm going to sit here and, you know, comment on a car like this and and make conjecture and, and points on this thing, um, even though I have no hope of in affording this car anytime soon. I mean, they haven't announced a price on it. I don't care. They haven't announced a price. Can I afford it even if they do? No, of course not. Of course I can't afford it. Look at the cars I do drive. They're terrible. Um, but but it is it is fun to to look at this and analyze it as if, as if I was someone who could afford it. And you're probably in the same boat, too, where it's like, well, this is cool. We love these hypercars. We love talking, you know, good things and bad things. You know, as car enthusiasts, we love this, even though. I'm not buying one anytime soon. Let's be real here. But uh, anytime soon. You got know, hey, gotta, you got to leave those expectations open ended, though, right? I mean, hey, if the right one comes across a salvage auction that's been on fire and flooded and hit by a train, I might just have a hope of buying that. So we got to keep that. We got to keep that discussion open ended. You know, it's uh, <laughs> so anyway. Um, good job, Koenigsegg. I like what they do. They do very cool things. I support Koenigsegg as probably the coolest supercar manufacturer. I mean, I'm not even really a supercar guy. You don't hear me talk about them all that often. Yeah, Ferraris, eh, they're all right. Lamborghinis, eh, okay, yeah, they're cool. Porsches, well, they're a little better, but eh, I don't know about that. Um, Koenigsegg, though, always... Um, Just blows things out of the water. And I appreciate that companies like Koenigsegg even exist in the first place. So um, there you go. Now, I have been I have been going long. I have been doing my job to yak about cars um, a a little too well. Um, So I'm going to briefly touch on some things with Pikes Peak here. Um, and that is that it was an incredible event. Um, it was really exciting. It was very cool. Um, it was lots of sleepless, near sleepless nights. So like, it, you know, as a spectator, you go out and you you go do the event, right? You, you know, you go out, you get there at 2.30 in the morning, you get let into the gates and then you're stuck in a traffic jam all the way up to the top of the mountain or wherever it is you decide to spectate from. Um, that's pretty normal. That is pretty normal, I would say. Um, But... Uh, I was credentialed media this year, as I was last year, too, which meant a couple of things. I was able to go into the practice days throughout the whole week, which I did because I wanted to not only experience it, but capture some great video and things, uh, especially with Jimmy Ford, my partnership with him, this show's partnership with him. I really wanted to be a part of that and help him out with some stuff. So I was really excited to be able to do that. But that meant getting up at, you know, during the practice days, you had to be there at three in the morning, which was, by the way, sleeping in compared to the actual race day. Um, you had to be there at three in the morning, um, you know, and, and no matter how well you get your schedule on track, there's always going to be something that derails it. You're going to go to bed at midnight, no matter what, maybe 10 o'clock, it's still only five hours of sleep. But um, it was exciting. I mean, every single year, there's a reason I love doing this. There's a reason I love being able to bring you along in doing it as well. And, you know, in addition to listening to my show about uh, from from the Fan Fest the show right before this one. Um, You can also see some of the cool photos and some of the video and the flybys I was able to get up there uh, by checking out the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD. And I have recently been posting a good amount of that too, um, to my personal Instagram, which I don't solicit very often on the show, but I, I might as well start. Uh, my personal Instagram is at Sir Matt West. Now, I also have an Instagram uh, for the show at Automotive ADHD Podcast. Um, I'm working on ramping that up. You're not finding a lot there right now. Got a lot of stuff going on. I'm going to ramp that up here as we go on with things. But um, to the hill climb, though, I mean, there is not an experience. There's no other experience like it. Yes, you can go attend rally events. You can go attend other racing events. You could go to in Indy car, you could go to Formula One. You could go to any. You could go to NASCAR. There is nothing like Pikes Peak. It is such a dynamic race. It is so unusual in the types of cars that you are able to see. The like I said at the top of this show, um, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things you're you're able to have, and this is my favorite part. One of my favorites is that you're able to have grassroots guys racing with factory teams. There's not many places in the world where you can do that. And I think that is special. I think that is cool because you can also be a spectator of, of the race, right? You can just be someone who's got a fun car and have a dream of racing that mountain. And one day you might actually be able to, you know, put the time in, put the effort in, put the money in to get the seat time and do everything you can to maybe one day actually race it. Um, as an, As an enthusiast, as a spectator, the chances of doing that in F1, are really slim, excessively slim. In F1, you got guys who are who are born into the sport, who have been raised, you know, silver spoon in hand, and you know, with uh, <laughs> with uh, behind the wheel of a race car with that silver spoon, um, you know. And that's very tough to compete with. That it's very tough to get into that competitive space. Pike's Peak provides an avenue for grassroots guys to do that, and grassroots guys to not only do that but beat factory teams, which is crazy. I mean, you look at um, King of the Mountain this year, you know, Robin Shute, which, uh, by the way, um, you can see a video on my Instagram and on the Facebook of me standing within inches of possible death, getting a shot of Robin Shute. That was, uh, you know, flying through the picnic grounds at 153 miles an hour. He's an independent, by the way. I mean, he's got he's got big name sponsors. Sure. But he's not a factory team. He's not Ford. He's not Audi. He's not Porsche. He's King of the Mountain. You know, I, you know, what can you do with that? Right. You know, he's, he had, he set the best time this year and he's done so in many years prior as well. Um, and, You just can't do that anywhere else. And that's uh, I I know I'm just gushing with love for this race and for the experience. I will say, you know, it is an exhausting experience. Even if you just go as a spectator, as a fan, I would say if that is a route you want to go, just go see the race. You have to come check out the race at some point. You know, and this is not like a paid endorsement of it. I do this because I love it and I really enjoy the race. Um, If you go as a spectator at some point, you have to uh, just you got to do it at least once in your life, Uh, though I will say get those tickets early, like as soon as they go on sale. Those tickets for spectators sell out crazy fast. So um, also, the preferred, here's my recommendation on how you should do this too, because the line to get into the race on the big race day, you know, bear in mind, there's practice days and things that you can go spectate during the week, but the big ticket item is the race day itself. And the race day, the racers get one chance to do their thing and do the racing. You as a spectator get one chance to watch them do it. Um, you know, during the big part of the race, the part that counts, you know, the practice days are fun just to watch the cars, but the part that counts, the competitive part of that really is what happens on the big race day. Um, If you want to do it as a spectator, my recommendation is um, get a camping pass and get that camping pass like a year in advance because those go away really quick too. Um, But it's because it's so challenging and difficult to get up there uh, in the crowd of people all trying to get in on race day. It is very difficult. It's stop and go traffic. You're basically, you know, stopped waiting to get let in and the traffic backs up down the road from the gates to Highway 24 in, you know, the Springs and then all the way down Highway 24. It's just just a nightmare to try to get in during race day, even for credential media people. Um, and I will say for credentialed media people, the organizers did a better job this year. They did. One of the complaints last year was a lot of credentialed people got stuck in line with regular spectators. When with your credentials, you're, I'm just giving you some, you know, inside baseball here and how this works, but you know, with your credentials, you're normally supposed to get in ahead of that crowd. It wasn't so much the case last year. They did a great job this year. I would say they solved that problem. Um, but, uh, you know, as a spectator getting in and camping, That's the way to do it. (laughs) You get in the day before and you camp there and you and then you're not getting up at one in the morning to try to get to the race. You're not doing any of that. You're camping there. You're setting up your tent. You're having a nice evening. You're getting up to the sound of race cars ripping through the woods up there. That is truly the way to do it, in my opinion. So um, take that with how you will. Definitely come out to Pike's Peak. If you enjoy listening to some of my coverage about the hill climb um, you should absolutely come out and check it out. You should, and you should come say hi when I'm at fan fest doing the show live from there. You don't want to miss that. I also do want to thank all of the great folks who did stop by the, uh, tent and the table and, uh, said hi. And it was so great seeing, um, you know, seeing you in person, you know, I, I, it's always tough. You do a show like this. You don't ever actually see the listeners, but being able to see you interact with you, say hi, shake your hand. That meant the world to me. So, um, you know, that was really cool. Definitely come check that out. Um, And I do want to I do want to just take a quick look here before we wrap things up uh, at the times. uh, Some of the times that were set on the hill, which were just crazy, absolutely bonkers. So here, check this out. I I told you that Robin shoot um, had, had the best time for the race in the unlimited division. He did eight minutes and 40 seconds whoo that's a cooking lap time that was number one that's king of the mountain there um and uh you know follow that up go down in the list here i'm really excited and i want to give him a big i've already i've already given him a congratulations earlier but i gotta say it on the show too. jimmy ford um he placed overall 16th for his second year ever running the hill climb 16th overall with a time of 10 minutes seven seconds in Bronxzilla. Um, and then, by the way, in his class, in his division, the Pikes Peak Open division, he placed fourth in his division for his second year running. That is insane. So, Jimmy, huge congratulations to you on that. I I think that is amazing. I cannot wait to see uh, where you take that next year. I, I think, at, I mean, at this rate, King of the Mountain That's in the cards. That is in the cards. Let's I want to see that happen. I really do. I think that is so cool. So um, anyway, there were lots of other great things, too, that happened on the mountain. You had Leah Block um, do the uh, commemorative run of the mountain in the uh, Hoonipagus, the the pink Porsche race car, you know, obviously, you know, commemorating uh, the life of her uh, late father now Ken Block still a tragedy that we lost him but it was very um it, it was it was heart touching to see is heartwarming in many ways to see Leah Block doing that run um, you know, with that in mind, I think that was I think that was really good. Um, she also did her own run in a different race car, an electric race car, and and set some pretty good times in that too. So that was fun. I mean, there were all sorts of different things going on. All of the teams, every one of the teams, was giving it their all. That's the that's the impression you get here on the uh, you know at the mountain. Um, no one's trying to do this in a half-baked way. Every single person is giving it their all. I got that impression from every one of the drivers I talked to, all the different people um, on the teams that I talked to. I mean, you can even see that, the passion for it. Listen to, you know, my interview from the last show, especially with, you know, I think Amir Bentatu uh, you know, he really hammered this point really well in that last show, if you didn't listen to it. But that passion for the hill climb. Yeah, the goal is just finish. Get just finish. Make it to the summit. Right. But there's so much more to that. There's so much passion that goes behind this race. And I mean, it 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 shows it really, truly shows from the guy's designing the race cars to the guys fabricating parts for it to the guys driving the race cars to the logistics people planning it bringing in food bringing in water you know doing all these things making sure you know the driver has what he needs to be well rested like all these different things you know whether the teams are big teams the ford performance team with their weird electric minivan thing which by the way was crazy to see that in person the thing was crazy it was stupid fast i'll say that but um but you know you yeah, got the factory teams everyone's working hard on those um, the family teams jimmy and his family working on the race here too i mean that is what i love about the hill climb and uh the only way you can really see that in person is honestly if you come come out to Colorado Springs and uh, and check it out. And while you're here, you might run into a certain automotive talk show host. <laughs> you might, you might just do that. So anyway, really exciting show today. I do want to thank you for joining me. Before we wrap up though, I got to say this, you don't want to miss a minute of this show. And I have some really exciting guests in the works. We are going to have Jimmy Ford back on the show. Not only is he going to recap the Pikes Peak hill climb from his perspective as a driver, but he has some incredibly exciting news to announce. I'm going to be really excited to have him announce that news right here on the show, so you don't want to miss that. Also, I have been talking to the diesel king of the mountain, and uh, maybe going to see about getting him on the show as well to uh, do an interview. So lots of exciting stuff to go on. Lots more of your car sounds to play on this edition of the show. And yeah, I I went a little long on some things. I didn't get to everything I wanted to talk about today, so we're going to bump that to uh, next week show. But uh, that being said, thank you to everybody who makes this show a possibility. Thank you to Sandy and Gary at the radio station who make sure this gets on the air. Also, thank you to members of the Speed Council. You can find out more about that uh, at thespeedcouncil.org. And subscribe to this show. You don't want to miss it. Subscribe where fine shows are downloaded. And then, of course, this one. And I will see you right here, same time, same place, next week.